0: In the Bible, and I'll, I'll, I'll help you out a little bit more, in the New Testament, there's one person. She's a woman. She is a mother. So there's one person in the New Testament. She's a woman. She's a mother. She has a daughter. The daughter's having significant problems. There's no dad to be seen. It's not clear whether... She was a single mother, but the text seems to indicate that she was a single mother. Not only that, she's not of the right tribe. She's not of the right ethnic group. Matter of fact, she's considered, well, she's considered not of the right anything. Yet, Jesus says something to her directly that he doesn't say to anybody else ever in the New Testament directly. He says it to one other person indirectly, but to this woman who's a mother, who has a daughter, who appears to be a single mom, who's not of the right tribe or the ethnic group, Jesus says something to her that is unique and is only said once uh, all the New Testament. So for ten dollars, <laughs> I feel like like I'm a used cash salesman. So for ten dollars to get your set of Jinsu knives, can anybody name that person? I yes, very very good. You get the. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> yes, so it's a Syrophoenician woman, and okay. So I a couple. I got a couple uh, gift cards. Uh, You're disqualified now. You can no longer participate. But what else is this woman called? Which is... No, you can't read it from your cell phone. You can't read... You can't Google it. You. I mean, you are such a sinner. Oh, my goodness. You're disqualified. Disqualified. Back of the line. No soup for you. There we go. Can anybody... (laughs) All right, I'll stop. I haven't been here in a month, so... I'm having fun. Can anybody give me the name of the woman that's the more, like, say, common usage? Yes, the Canaanite woman. That's great. Oh, you're another one, another one. You're disqualified. Anyway, so come with me to uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, and we'll look at verse 21. It's verse 21 through uh, 28 this morning. Uh, it's a story, it's a remarkable story about, about a mother who has a daughter. Yet she is not, say, of the right tribe or the right ethnic group. And yet her heart, which we're gonna, we'll soon find out, Jesus says to her, it's the only person that he says directly to, great is your faith. And so the story that Matthew gives to us is, is about a woman that is in, is in a desperate place, but she doesn't match up to all the right things that perhaps the disciples would want her to be, or, or she might feel that she needs to be to approach Jesus. But she goes beyond all those things, and Jesus uh, rewards her with with an affirmation that great is her faith. She's in the midst of a great trauma in her life. And some of you this morning, you could fit in her shoes. Life has not gone all that well for you. That there's a brokenness of heart that you carry with you. The social sciences statistics would tell me that if there were, if there, out of 100 people in a room, that 20 or 25 of those people would be carrying around Present tense um, in their heart a, a brokenness that only God can heal a loss a disappointment and that's where the the text draws me in because I, I'm that person from from time to time that there's places of of brokenness that only God can uh, give hope. Only God can can heal, and that's why it's such a powerful text on Mother's Day. Because Mother's Day is out of out of all the holidays, it's uh, it, it can be such a mixed you know bag of of emotions because of all the expectations that that are are, are attached to that. That are that there's so many expectations that. It's hard to fulfill them all. And that's why this this text speaks to me as a guy, as a man. But I think it speaks to all of our hearts of how to uh, approach Jesus and how not to disqualify ourselves from a, from approaching him. Come to the text with me. We're looking at, Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to begin with verse 21, but let's pray. Lord, we're in a place today, Lord, that some of us um, need you to surprise us. Some of us need to know that we can approach you. And I pray this morning for, for Lord, my heart and those that are in my midst, Lord, that Lord, that we could take courage from from this text, this story this morning. And Lord, that we could take courage to approach you. And Lord, to allow you to woo us and to draw our heart to a place where we could experience your grace this morning. And so whether we're in the room or, or at home or on the road, Lord, do that for our hearts, I pray, this morning. Matthew 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So often in Jesus' ministry, and this is the case here in the text, is that things weren't going well for Jesus and the religious leaders. The religious leaders wanted something from Jesus, that he was never going to fulfill on his first coming. Second coming, yes, perhaps. In his first coming, he came as a suffering servant. First coming, he came to come as a babe and to give his life as a ransom. But the religious leaders, man, they didn't expect that, nor they wanted nor did they want that. They wanted Jesus to come as a conquering messiah. Jesus came and he did not meet all the expectations of the religious leaders of his day. And when things got to a boiling point, John tells us over and over again, records the words of Jesus, or gives uh, uh, John's view from John's gospel. Jesus says, my time has what? Not come. And he, sometimes, he simply almost disappears. He walks, he's in the midst of a crowd and All of a sudden, he's gone. Some of you are in family gatherings this afternoon. If it gets too hot, that's a good thing to do. Go for a walk. At least you come back and make a huge mess. And Jesus realized that conflict had come to the place where he said to him and his boys, we're out of here and we're going for a walk. Now, where he goes is important. Like if you had a map and you had Jerusalem, Jerusalem, up here in the mountains and over here in Lebanon, by the coast, which was in in Canaanite land, Jesus heads to the land of the Gentiles because there, there's less conflict. So that's where we get the location. It's about 50 miles from Jerusalem to the coast. It would be like you saying this afternoon... Being here in Chelmsford, I'm going to go down to Boston Harbor. It's about that distance. Now, it's unclear whether Jesus walked all the way to the coast, but sometime after he got past 128, he ran into a woman. He entered the land of Cana, and Matthew and the disciples are not shy in telling us who the person that he met. Not shy about telling us her ethnic background, not, not shy about telling us her status as not being one of the chosen Israelites, not being one of those favored, not being one of those that at least Jesus initially came to reach. She was a non-person in their eyes. Come to the text with me. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying. What's interesting here is, and we've kind of laid it out already, is that she was a a non-entity, not important. Not of the right pedigree, not of the right tribe, not of the right ethnic group not of the right religious affiliation. She didn't have the right you know, church membership, if we could put it that way. She was, she was one in a slur, and we'll come to see this slur uh, approached in a different way later in the text. But many of the elites of the day would consider her, well, probably not any better at best than a what? Than a wild dog. And the disciples come out, and they, they identify this woman in that way. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. And what's remarkable about the text and about this woman is that even though she's not part of Israel, she's not part of the, the elect in the sense of that elect, she identifies Jesus For who he is. That he's the Lord. That he's the Messiah of Israel. Jesus' ministry and heart towards those that were outside of Israel is already well known. He's already been to Samaria. He's already been to John chapter 4. The woman at the well who he speaks to and ministers to. Jesus did not allow ethnic barriers, religious barriers, gender barriers, to keep him from ministering to people. He had a heart to minister to people. This lady knew that he was the the Lord, the King of Israel, but this lady knew he was the one, he was the shepherd that would leave the 99 and go to the one. Is that your Jesus? That's my Jesus. That's the one that comes and seeks me. That's the one who comes and goes beyond where the borderline might be. That's the that's my God. That's Jesus who goes to the broken and hearted and leaves the 99 and goes to the one and ministers to that person heart. That person, this lady, she knew who Jesus really was. And that is the difference maker in your life, And in my life, do we know that he cares for the brokenhearted? Do you know that he comes and he comes to seek and save the lost? And he's not intimidated by our lack of standing, by our social standing, by our ethnic group, or by the church that we belong to, or the temple that we go to. He's not concerned in all of that because he is after the heart. Come back to the text with me. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This is a good time to take a pause to say that if you are a real Bible student, this is a good illustration of that word choices are determined not by their Strong's concordance number, but word choices are determined by what? Word choices are determined by the context that they find themselves in. And so this word for demonized, to be demonized, if we went to Matthew chapter 8, there's two guys there, that are full of demons. Matter of fact, when Jesus approaches them in Matthew chapter 8, they cry out to him, Oh, son of God, what are you going to do? Are you going to do, do away with us now? And then Jesus says one word to these two guys that are full of demons. What's the one word he says to the demons? Go. That's it. No theatrics, you know, no, no lights and smoke, you know, and big band sounds accompanying the demons moving. He just says to them to go. Where does he send them? Puts them in a herd of pigs. Mark tells us 2,000 pigs. The pigs go crazy. The demons are in them. And the pigs run off into the sea and drown. That's a case where we could say that the word for demonization means someone that is full and under the control of a... No trick question. A demon. So we come to this place where demonization is used... And there's a range of meanings to that word. And we know that Jesus doesn't cast out a demon from this lady. Jesus does what for this woman's daughter? You already know the end of the story now. Jesus heals her. And so when we look at the range of meanings for, for demonization here, it certainly means under the power of the devil. But it can mean, it can mean someone that has a severe disease... Or someone that has some, some severe and significant you know, mental health issues that they're dealing with. And so to be demonized is possible. We can see that in Matthew chapter 8. But this woman here, and here's the range of the meaning, and here's the lesson to my Bible scholars here, is that there's an organic problem that's not going to be solved by trying to cast something out. It's an organic problem that the remedy for it is what? Is divine healing from the Lord. And so the lesson here, the deeper lesson here, is when we're reading through a text and where we're, we, we, we can maybe be driven to a strong concordance and we say this is that without considering the context. And so that's why it's always better to look at the word choices where, where they're situated, because that informs us what the. When we look at, when you go to the Strong's Concordance and you look, and in this case, it, and it's in your notes, it's, it's G1142. When you go there, you'll, you'll click on that and it'll open up and you'll see 15 meetings. And how do you figure it out? Well, you gotta go to the context and let the context give meaning and understanding to the word. And Jesus does that at the end of the text. So a lesson there about not using, uh, say, the strongs as the way to land on and determine a meaning of a word. Now, that was a commercial break back to the text. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. She knew who Jesus was. And my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 23. Say it with me. But Jesus did not answer her. What? I thought, Conway, you said he's the great seeker of the soul of the, the brokenhearted. What is it that he doesn't answer her? What's that about? What's he doing? Is he, you know, you read some Bible call uh, commentators and this say, well, he was a little, you know standoffish, and, and maybe even rude. Really? That's not my Jesus. My Jesus knows all things. When you look at Romans 8.29 there, it's foreknowledge that determines predestination. And so in the foreknowledge of God, in the foreknowledge of Jesus, he doesn't answer her. Why? Because foreknowledge means that God knows what's going to happen. Does God know what's going to happen in your life? Yes, he does. Does God want the best for your life? Yes, he does. Does God work all things for the good, even though you can't figure it out? Yes, he does. So why no response from Jesus? Thank you. Why no response from Jesus? That's, this is rhetorical. Why no response? Because in the foreknowledge of God, he knows this, that given the opportunity, given this circumstance, this woman is going to step into faith, is going to experience an amazing miracle in his life. You know what I've learned over the journey of life, is that when the hardest things happen, there's usually space where I have to exercise my free will to step into Jesus. When the the brokenness comes and the, the cry goes out to God, God save, God heal, You don't have to answer this. How many of you have experienced silence in those moments? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Silence. Why? Because in the foreknowledge of God, he knows that that calamity, that brokenness, that difficulty, losing that loved one in death, those are the things that he uses to conform us into the very nature and character Of Jesus himself, through his foreknowledge, we're predestined to become like Jesus. But it's those spaces in time where all seems lost, where there's silence, that Jesus is working. And Jesus is allowing you to exercise your free will to believe in him, to trust him, to have faith that he is bigger than your problem. You know the end of the story. What does this woman do? She perseveres. She steps into that void, that vacuum where we have to trust. Come back to the text with me. But But he did not answer her a word. And look what the boys do. His disciples came and begged him. Saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. And if you think she's just going, oh, please help me, please help me. No, she is right in their face. You ever have a needy person in your life? Yeah, right next to me. Yeah. You ever have a needy person in your life? What does that make you feel? Ooh, just go over there. I mean, some of you are going to have family gatherings this afternoon. You're going to be needy people, and you're going to say, Ooh, let's let that brother or sister just stay over there. i got to go cook. Right? That's on the negative of the disciples. On the positive, this is in your notes, the verb choice here is not to dismiss her. The verb choice here is not to shun her, The verb choice here is to send her away with her request granted. That's the verb choice. And so on one side, the disciples, they get it right. Jesus can only grant her need. On the other side, they tend to be like you and I. That if there's a needy person, it's like, ooh. You know, let me suggest... To you at your family gatherings, that you always make room at the table for that person you want to keep over here. You know that when, you know, when the meal's done and everybody kind of moves around, you know that person that is sitting over there pretending they're watching the TV, but they're really not engaged in the conversation? and you don't really want them to be? (laughs) The Christ-like thing to do is to pull up another chair at the table and say, oh, don't sit over there. Come over and be with us. Oh, no, no, I'm all right. No, you're not all right, sweetheart. Come on. Jesus is going to do that for this lady. Come back to the text with me. But he did not answer a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. And verses 24 and 25 and 26 and 27 is a remarkable narrative, remarkable exchange between Jesus and this woman. woman and what's so remarkable, remarkable about it is that her faith in who she knows Jesus is and her perseverance and her trust in Jesus as a, as a shepherd of Israel comes so clear. In the ESV, we see the word dog used. And it's used not in the text, it's used in the culture of the day, as a slur towards who? Towards Gentiles. But Jesus doesn't use that slur of a wild dog. What he is going to use, when he, in our English version, is we read dog, but what it means is the, the family puppy. What it means is the pet of the family. And if you ever had a family pet, you know what you know what my kids did to me? They went and bought a family pet without asking me when they were young. Yeah. Yeah. They convinced their mother to take their allowance and go do what dad forbid. So I forbid it. And they bring home this con terrier. You know what a con terrier is? It's a yapper. It's a little yappa. Yip yip yep, yep. It's a yippy yappa. They brought this yippy yappa home. Yip yip yep. There's 25 percent of the people here that have mental health issues. And this this little dog would go under the at mealtime. It's such an annoyance. Go into the table. Always sit in there. One of my children who will go nameless always feed in that dog under the table. The other child, we we had two, the other child, Rebecca. <laughs> she's a perfect child. She'd never do anything wrong. Nothing. Nothing wrong. Like if we if we stopped at Rebecca, we would feel that we had the we were like we'd be like. We are such good parents. We know everything. Look at our perfect child. Then the other one comes and says, We know nothing. Lord, save us. (laughs) That's, That's the feel for the narrative. That's the feel. She basically says, He basically says this, if this would be a fair paraphrase. Lord, I may not be part of Israel, but your ministry extends to all people. And so have mercy on me and heal my daughter. Let's read the text, see if that doesn't make a little bit, bring a little bit more clarity. Verse 24, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25, But she, she came and knelt before him, saying what? Lord, help me. She threw herself without reserve on the mercy of God. And Jesus answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let me say parenthetically before we get to the end. You know it's coming and you know what the, what the dynamic is. But parenthetically, could she have not taken offense? Could she have not said, well, you didn't answer me the way I wanted"? You're so rude, you just didn't answer me, Lord. could she had not copped an attitude saying, well uh, you know i 'm not this I'm not how dare you refer to me this way And what the dynamic was is that there was a there was a there was a modest, a tiny bit of offense, if we could put it that way and in that 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 moment, her heart was revealed. Her heart was exposed. She didn't care whether she was the puppy. She didn't care that she was a Canaanite. She didn't care that she was a single mother. She didn't care about any of those things. The only thing that was in her heart is that she knew who Jesus was and abandoned her heart and her hope into his hands. Look at her response. And it's, I mean, I've been meditating on this text for two weeks, and you get to this place and you go, oh, Lord, let that be my heart. She said, yes, Lord, even the puppies at the table eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus is astounded. Jesus is moved to speak to this woman in a way directly that he's never spoken to another in the New Testament. He says this, Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In closing this morning, just a simple question. Who's your Jesus? What do you know about him that's true? What's keeping you from running after him, running into his arms? I would say this, that it's not anything on his end that's keeping you from him because he came to seek and to save the lost. My encouragement to us on this Mother's Day. Mother's Day, oh man, it's not a perfect day, is it? We, wish it? we wish Mother's Day was, every Mother's Day could be a Hallmark card. No, you don't go any, you don't go looking at, like I bought cards just like you did. If you didn't, you still have time. Did not, still have time. They're all pretty. All the corners are square. All the script is perfectly laid out. And that's not life, is it? And that's why we have Jesus. Because he enters our lives that are not square, not all together. And he dispenses mercy and grace into a heart that would cry out to him. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning.